Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin for providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dangits. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang-its.com for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History. But you already know that. You clicked on the episode, so nice job. <laughs> Thank you again uh, for, for listening and, and supporting. We, we really appreciate it. Um, we have another great episode for you guys today. Uh, the main story today is going to be the inspiration behind the Indiana Jones character that we all know. It's Wisconsin's own Roy Chapman Andrews. We also have great Wisconsin music from No Show Cadillac, our friend Connor. We have another beer review. We have an installation of How Many Locos You At. And we also have an interview with G5 Brewing Company. So without any further ado, let's jump right in. Let's, let's hear a little bit about Roy Chapman Andrews. So yeah, we have another great Wisconsin character, uh, kind of an unknown person, but his name is Roy Chapman Andrews. He was born in Beloit, Wisconsin on January 26th of 1884. He's best known for being an explorer, adventurer, naturalist, paleontologist, archaeologist, author, and the inspiration behind Indiana Jones. Now those are some, uh, I mean that's huge. Indiana Jones was such a monumental film. Yeah. And, and I'm not talking about the new alien one, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, the original three. With, what's that what's that kid's name in that the the kid uh i just oh man dr. he's like john dr jones yeah yeah i, I don't remember the uh, kid's name but and even in the crystal skull they have like what, what's that guy's name um that kid who's in that um he's like shia a, labeouf yeah <laughs> Is that i mean that the, yeah about? that kind of that kind of already ruined the movie when i saw he was in that honestly yeah. to be honest with you but especially coming off of like the transformer stuff it's like let's just throw shia labeouf wherever we want now. right it's bad, bad yeah casting. exactly so as a kid growing up in Beloit, he found love in the outdoors, exploring the woods, fields, and waters surrounding the area. He was also into hunting and shooting. As a young man, he taught himself taxidermy, which he used the money from his side hobby, taxidermy, to pay for his education at the Beloit College. And today, if you want to get into Beloit College, it's a private college, you're going to have to skin a lot of deers yeah, to go to that school. You're going to have to put back together a bunch of dead animals and on like a... On like a serial killer level. Yeah, this is this is straight American Psycho level yeah. taxidermy. If you want to go to Beloit College today, how thick's your business card? <laughs> that's that's like a, a throw from uh, what was that? Ameri- was that American Psycho. Yeah, I think it was okay. American Psycho. I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong with on that. with Christian Bale. Or yeah, he was Huey so Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. They're like they're like that movie Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. Honestly. So he was so set out to work for the American Museum of History in New York that he accepted a janitorial position in the in the collection area in the taxidermy department. Um, and he actually started to help and add specimens to the collection. While working in this position, he continued going to school and eventually earned a Master's of Arts in Mammalogy from Columbia University. He also became a member of the Explorers Club in New York City in 1908, just four years after the club had been initiated thus leading him into adventure and securing him as one of the inspirations behind the Indiana Jones character we all know and love. And here are some of his probably the most known and legendary expeditions that he carried out. So the first one was in 1909, and he was aboard the USS Albatross to the East Indies to collect reptile specimens as well as observing and documenting the marine mammals. In 1913, he sailed aboard the schooner, the, uh, the, Adven- the Adventurous to the Arctic, there, he was hoping to collect a bowhead whale specimen, and even though this was a failure, he films, filmed some of the best-known seal footage ever to be shown to the public at this time. Oh, wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty exciting guy. Um, in 1914, he married his first wife, Yvette Borup, where in 1916, they led their famous expedition to the western regions and western and southern part of the Yunnan region of China. 
And before this time, there wasn't a lot known about the area. And, uh, you know, for the 1920s, this is pretty exciting for people. If you, if you wish to learn more about his expeditions, you are in luck as all of the books, and this book specifically called Camps and Trails in China, documents the entire trip um, in detail. And uh, thus making him the famous explorer we all know and love of the time period, and which is really sad that we don't hear about him today because obviously a lot of stuff has been explored now. And a lot of it's already known, you know. There's people everywhere. We have right. social it, media. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be as exciting to 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 necessarily read about you know today because everything already is discovered. But it's kind of neat to take yourself back and put yourself in the shoes of somebody in uh, you know early 1900s United States uh, where things maybe weren't as explored, and uh, read about the the documentation of all these discoveries as they're being made, uh, told by the, the man who's doing, you know, these explorations. That's right. awesome. And actually the, the costume that Indiana Jones wears, Roy Chapman, Andrews wore, he wore a hat, like a leather coat, you know, he, right. I'm, I'm, I don't know if he carried a whip. A whip or, I, was oh, I might carry a whip. I don't know about Did that. Did he hate snakes? Yeah. He might've hated snakes, yeah. you know, the, the MO of Indiana Jones. He had an Asian Jones. kid as a, as a sidekick. Right. <laughs> Sean Connery was in one of them. Ah, Sean Connery. <laughs> uh, but he has many publications, so you can actually go and he pretty much every one that he went on, he made a log book. So you can actually go and get these from the library. Probably made a log too. Yeah, I'm sure he did. 23 <laughs> logs to be exact. <laughs> and, uh, you know, another one of his famous expeditions was in the Mongolia area where he uh, went and discovered the Gobi Deserts, um, which, you know, besides the native region that they were well known in this, this was kind of an unknown area of Mongolia. And there weren't very many people that went there because it's very harsh terrain. Yeah. And it's very hard to live there. Pretty dangerous stuff, too. Yeah, you're not used to it. A a funny thing is a lot of people used to be scared to go there because they were told about these these Gobi um, desert worms that would eat people. They come out of the ground. Like, have you ever seen the movie Tremors? Have you ever seen the movie Star Wars? Yeah, right. It's the same thing. Or Dune, Dune where they got the the snakes that come out of the ground and suck. That's what they believed. It was called the Gobi Desert Worm. And so people were scared to go to this area. I mean, I could see that. In 1920, he would lead a fleet through the desert, documenting all of the foreign landscapes and would discover one of his first major finds in paleontology. He discovered a long extinct hornless rhinoceros, which was sent back to the American History Museum. Where there, in December 19th, the fossil was dubbed Andrew Sarkis after his discovery. So he actually has a dinosaur named after him, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I can think of no better thing than to have a dinosaur that I get to name. I mean, it would have been a really stupid name if I named it as a kid, but uh, yeah, that's an incredible feat. I I kind of want a dinosaur named Sarasaurus, but (laughs) it's kind of sweet. I don't know. Um, but he would eventually be featured on the cover of Time magazine in October 29th of 1923, featuring this specific expedition, the Gobi Desert Expedition, which is pretty, I mean, that's a big feat to get on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah, I mean, that's reserved for only the the most important people or the most influential. I mean, this isn't just a, a, something handed out to everyone. Right. And so this next topic, I don't want to get too down the rabbit hole here, and I don't want to offend anybody, but originally there used to be Andrews and other people and scientists at the time believed that there was the out-of-Asia theory for evolution that existed. And obviously today we know it's false. Uh, we, we know that people came from the African plains and they branched outward and they kind of migrated to different areas. You got the, you know, the Caucasus Mountain regions, you got the India, you got Chinese, and it was just kind of a overtime period development more than yeah. anything. I mean... Uh, like really, you know, skin color, all it is is I pigment. Think, and That's I think, all it is. It's, and I think it's also really important to to note that uh, although we, we know it's false and, and there's uh, no scientific backing to prove that this is accurate, the, the point we're making is uh, this was a theory at some point. So if, if you are into, you know, reading about history, this is uh, especially the history of man. Uh, if you are interested in that this is a very important piece to to note that this was one of the early theories of uh of where uh uh, people came from and where they originated from exactly and there you know at this time period in the 1920s there are a few scientists that really uh, pushed this concept but obviously today we know even with like all the dna and genetics that we did come from the african plains which is pretty cool that we can figure that out but 
But so he in he wanted to set out to prove his theory, and in 1922 to 1928, so he led multiple expeditions um, to Central the, he, called the Central Asiatic Expeditions to look for the remains of ancient humans. Though nothing came of this, and no remains were found that would were like a, a great discovery. Yeah, he did find additional dinosaur species that were you know not discovered yet. Um, the oviraptor, which is like this really tiny raptor. They found a whole bunch of those out there. Um, okay. Just just some pretty cool discoveries for the time period. So essentially, he's responsible not only for the Indiana Jones franchise, he's also responsible for Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, really, he he, they, he discovered a lot of species yeah. on his trips. I mean... I hope his family's collecting royalties. Oh, I agree. Those are some gigantic movies. <laughs> And yeah, so the one find that made him really famous at the American History Museum was he found a, a nest of dinosaur eggs that were fully fossilized, and it was the first time the egg was the eggs were fossilized, a full nest of eggs. Isn't that what the what the one guy in Jurassic Park had on the tip of his cane was like a fossilized? It was it was actually a, a mosquito in amber, I think. Oh, yeah, okay. and it like had dino DNA because it bit a dinosaur and got stuck on a tree, basically. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So before they were able to go home and take these, the Chinese government actually seized the items, and but they were eventually returned. And uh, one final trip he made in this location was in 1930, where he discovered mastodon fossils in Central Asia, which was huge. No, I mean, we didn't know the range at the time, but now we knew that they were pretty much all along the Arctic and even in Central Asia, which yeah, is I mean, pretty incredible. I mean, at one stride for them, and they, and they used to migrate quite, you know, huge distances. And one stride for a mastodon is amazing. I mean, they're they're closely related to elephants, but right. not nearly as big. Yeah, you know, right, the, exactly. The, the elephants are, are not even close to what the size of a mastodon was. We're talking like two to three times the size of yeah, massive, an elephant a is a mastodon. And then, uh, so when he returned... He he was he would actually return um, to his first wife Yvette, where they ended up not working out and were divorced. Where he he did have two kids with her, but in 1935 he remarried his second wife and final wife Wilhelmina Christmas, which is a sweet last name. Yeah, Christmas is so awesome. Christ, last name. Christmas is cool, man. Presents. After all of his adventures in his younger days, he would eventually settle down, becoming the president of the Explorers Club in 1931 and in 1934. But the reason he kind of had to stop running for this is in 1934, he worked his way up in the museum and actually became the director of the American History Museum. And in 1942, he would retire and settle in Carmel Carmel Valley, California, where he would continue to write about his life and his adventures. On March 11th, 1960s, his adventures would come to an end and he passed away from heart failure in California. His body, his body was brought back to his home in the town of Beloit, where it rests at Oak, Oakwood Cemetery. And you can actually go visit the grave today. It's it's usually, yeah. you know, Beloit College has a, a pretty good paleontology, like archaeology department. And I think every year the students kind of make an homage there and like leave really cool relics and stuff on there, nice. which is pretty cool. I, I've always wanted to go check it out myself. Yeah. So, yeah, he... and. You know, it was never confirmed by George Lucas, but some of the people in the studio said that he was one of the main inspirations behind Indiana Jones. There were a couple other characters of the time period that were like adventurers, but they didn't dress the part and they didn't do probably quite as many known adventures as Roy Chapman Andrews. And I would imagine, you know, if you think about it, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, archaeological stuff happening early on in, in the United States. Um explorers all that sort of stuff i don't think that you know we ever romanticized the idea of it and uh that's why the movie is so successful because we normally think of that as just a couple of nerds out in the middle of a desert digging up stuff and you know dusting off bones and stuff so in in my theory it's you know we're george lucas just romanticized the idea that uh you know, uh, digging for these fossilized remains and, you know, proving that dinosaurs existed or any of that stuff could be dangerous. You know, if, if, if we made it like the space race in the sixties, who could get to the moon first? Uh, you know, if they romanticized that idea and said, Ooh, you know, there, there could have been a, a major war just 
because of that. I mean, obviously there was, you know, the, the, there was, you know, threats and stuff during the sixties, uh, cold war and, and all that stuff. But as far as, uh, you know, making it seem like, you know, the Nazis were after you because you were trying to dig for bones and find treasure, right. uh, you know, that, that didn't happen. Uh, but this is a phenomenal story and I'm sure that Roy Chapman Andrews accounts for at least a, a great sum of the inspiration, but I'm sure that it's really just a, a fantastic idea that, you know, you, that pops into your head, you know, Hey, why don't we create a movie that, uh, talks about a, uh, a, you know, a paleontologist or, you know, whatever going out and, and, uh, he's getting shot at because he's trying to discover all these things that they didn't want discovered. Exactly. And around this time period, so from probably the turn of the century, late 1800s to around the 1920s, there was a lot of expeditions. Obviously, we've heard of like Shackleton. Yeah. And there was just a lot of new discoveries that were being made. So, yeah. you know, he's just one of the characters involved. And uh, he's a really cool Wisconsin character, kind of one of those unknown people in Wisconsin. And I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. You know. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And then to to be able to... Uh, let them know that that there is that that seemingly existing correlation between uh, Roy Chapman Andrews and Indiana Jones. Now it's your time. Go back and watch those movies, and I mean, and and read about Roy Chapman Andrews, and see if you can pinpoint some extremely noticeable uh, character, you know, uh, uh, similarities between the two and let us know, let us know what you find uh, between the movie and some of your own uh, digging, if you will, uh, into Roy Chapman Andrews. And that'll conclude the episode, the main story of the uh, episode today. And we're going to move on to the uh, music segment. Yeah. So today we have uh, phenomenal music from a really close personal friend uh, to both Russ and I, uh, Connor Scarrow. Uh, of the uh, of the band No Show Cadillac, uh, really really phenomenal music. Um, that I I just absolutely love Connor's ability to uh, sort of improvise uh, instrumentation, uh, finding things that make musical noise. Yeah, I I love I love the rawness of it too, like the emotion and the rawness. Like I love that kind of stuff yeah. personally. And then I mean not to not to leave out the fact that he's probably one of the uh, best finger picking, uh, you know, uh, stylistic players that I know. Uh, he's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and, and the way that he makes the guitar uh, speak and uh, it just really tells a, an entirely different story than what I've heard other musicians play. It's just amazing. It's, it's almost uh, deeply rooted in blues but it has that bluegrass folk kind of feel. And then, like you said, it's very, very raw. It just feels really personal. And then uh, the lyrics as well. He's, he's an a- excellent storyteller uh, in, in that. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I, I love kind of like the, uh, the f- you know, the folk music where you're telling a story to somebody. It's not just like a repeated word a hundred times. Like somebody took the time to actually work these lyrics out. You right. Know? Yeah, it's not, it isn't a pop song uh, where they find the same hook and then they just go with it a thousand times. Right. Yeah, no, there's definitely some some really good uh, effort and emotion put into this. So without further ado, here is No Show Cadillac, Dark Clouds of the Plains. Fight them, and I 
fight the feelings of being best, best friends with him. guys that is no show cadillac dark clouds of the plains uh look this guy up on his social media he's got facebook uh, and uh, i believe he has a band camp as well but also check out his music on spotify he's on apple so you can go ahead and purchase some of that stuff uh let's make sure to to support uh all of our local artists here from wisconsin it'd be really nice to see you know some of these uh artists break out that we have here all right, so we have another edition. Of, or what, what did you have? No, so we're trying to keep this episode all Beloit. So our How Many Loco there segment you, go. you got is actually from Beloit, and it's a pretty wild one. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there. It was big news for a while. I remember seeing it in the newspaper, on the news. Um, I drove past after the uh, collision happened. It was, it's pretty nuts. And, and I see a, a, a picture. Uh, there's a video uh, of a news article. There's not a video of it happening, so don't try to look for that. But there's just a, a, a picture of the um, the start of the video here where it's literally a Dodge Ram truck that looks like it just parked on someone's, like through someone's roof. So uh, we'll go ahead and read the article here, and we'll uh, we'll give you our take on it. A pickup crashed into the roof of a garage of the Beloit condo Saturday afternoon. The call came in about 4.26 p.m. for the resident of the 2900 block of Park Avenue. People were inside at the time of the crash, and the, but there were no reported injuries. Police identified a driver as a man from Beloit as the driver of the truck. According to the town of Beloit Police Chief Ronald Northrup, he was traveling at high speeds when the truck left the ro- roadway into an empty water retention area. Okay. The car became airborne, traveling about 26 yards before crashing into the roof. So that's 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 one of the things that we that we had talked about off air just a second ago was uh, that by the way that you see this the truck in uh, in the garage through the roof of the garage is there's no damage to the exterior walls or the garage door like down by the you know by the pavement or cement or even down by the foundation or anything. This clearly had to have been a, uh, a a Dukes of Hazard County kind of thing where these oh, boys yeah. 
I mean, they must have been playing some some hot tunes and just took it off basically a bike ramp. There go them blow-up boys again. Yeah. Just freaking straight up into the roof, man. I mean, it would have been a sight to see. Like I said, I got to see the uh, aftermath. I never right. got to see the truck in there because they towed it out at that time. It was that's, gone. But that's some damage right there. I and mean, that's an insane thought that a full-size pickup truck uh, could, at any speed, get up. I mean, even the ramp had to have been, they just said it was like a water retention area. I'm kind of just imagining that it's a ditch. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, he went down and instantly just hit that thing. Yeah. I mean, this guy had to go airborne, and it would have been a Dukes of Hazard thing to see. But Yeah, I, I'm i I'm shocked. Uh, I've, I've seen some cool stuff. Uh, I've seen cars do really, really unique things, but this is pretty insane to think that a, a full-size pickup truck could get enough air and then land through a roof which is easily uh from the looks of this it's uh, at least nine and a half ten feet up that that this that came through the top so this truck had to be at, at its at its you know peak somewhere around 15 feet in the air to to be able to even make the the crash that it did. This is absolutely insane. Um, yeah, I mean, if you had a guess on this guy, I mean, like, how many well, locos gonna, do you... I'm, is there more to the story here? Well, no, I'm just saying here that 4.26 p.m. is when a call came in about the incident. Right. So he was a... He was a he started early. 4.26 p.m. He started early. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, a lot of bars don't even open until, like, noon. Right, especially on Sundays. That's being... not four and a half hours of drinking. And and we also know that that, that didn't happen at 426. We don't even know if these people, or they said they were home. Yeah, yeah. So this, I'm sure it happened like right after. They probably after. called right after. So 424 is when he launched into the roof. 425, they all shit their pants. Yeah. And 426 was when they were like, all right, we better take yeah. out our iPhones and call this guy. That's just insanity. Call the police, rather. So I'm, I'm shocked. Yeah, I I don't even know when this guy would have had to have started to drink, but in my in my personal theory, this this beats last episode or two two episodes ago. You, we had a twenty loco. You think this is gonna top it? It has, it has to. I mean, this is quite this is quite obviously like a a twenty twenty four loco. Oof. I mean bad no i I, six he had to have had six cans a caser of exactly which is just insanity yeah he had the little the little plastic rings that he has to you know pop off that (laughs) end up killing dolphins or whatever yeah yeah. shaping turtle shells he had to do all of that work while he's driving his truck and sipping down some of that four loco juice yeah, so not only SeaWorld is giving him the middle finger, but, you know, he's he's caused, he got a middle finger from these homeowners, too, you know? And and you know what the sad part is? You mentioned this was at a condo. I can only imagine that the condo association got there and saw this, and and Karen, the, you know, president of the condo association, was probably like, uh, your roof's not up to code. Oh, for sure. <laughs> she came yeah, there with her shortcut in her little just... designer purse and just started like, yeah, this isn't going to work, guys. Yeah, she takes out the little uh, pencil that you use for golf scoring and she's marking it down that Condo 15 doesn't have a proper roof and they've got a Dodge sticking out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Ram, the Dodge Ram in your roof is just not up to code. Yeah. I'm writing her down. You That's don't see, it. You don't see the other condos having Dodges in their roof, do you? <laughs> um, and also, you know... Um, there's tire tracks uh, in there in your yard. <laughs> That's just not going to fly with us, okay? So do you think, like, I, I'm honestly thinking, so you know how we do the Four Loco segment? These guys probably aren't actually drinking Four Loco, but this no. guy might have been drinking Four Loco. This guy to, easily. To hit that adrenaline jump. This guy, of all of the ones that we that we have talked about, the guy who did, like, uh, six blocks worth of damage or whatever, yeah. that guy, he easily could have been on there. The guy that got tased. Oh, uh, yeah. After blowing out his front two tires, that guy easily could have been on four loco. This guy, uh, above any one of them, is like the the one case where I'm thinking he's on he's on for. And we don't say he's drinking four loco. Four loco, we refer to it as almost like we would a drug. He is on yeah. four loco. Yeah, and like 
don't know if you've ever seen the guy, the Kyle, where he's chugging monsters. Like, this is yeah. like the guy I imagine driving the truck with, like, monster tattoos. For sure. And a Fox t-shirt. And just yeah. like, yeah, baby. A K&N filter uh, sticker on the back window. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just adrenaline junkie. Extra horsepower for those stickers, baby. Yeah, heck yeah. Adrenaline he's, junkie on there. He's like got just, a four-inch exhaust on the back that, oh, heck you know, yeah. it's just louder than hell. Normally has dirt bikes in the back of his truck. Luckily yes. it didn't today. Like, that's the guy I'm thinking. Yeah, two dirt bikes, a regular kid's huffy bike, one four-wheeler, a the, case of uh, monster. The slash. whole arsenal of adrenaline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got his Coleman cooler just stacked to the brim with monster and four loco. No water. Oh, definitely not. All right. So we're in agreement then. 24 loco easily. Yeah, this, this, is, this, uh, the, this is the peak, six can, 24 loco. This is the six packer right here. I want to say that he probably also tried to reverse his truck out of there, too. Well, I can get out of here, no problem. Yeah, do you see? This is a Dodge Ram 1500. I can get out of It's got a Hemi. (laughs) I'm going to put her in 4x4 and see what she does, boys. All right. We have another beer to review. Yeah, today we have a special one from uh, called Scunny Hazy Hop, which is right up our alley. It is... Uh, cool can to start off with, by the way. I just want to let everybody know uh, this one's pretty easy pinpointed. Uh, really, really green beer can. Scani written in gigantic white bold lettering. Yeah, it's a really cool can, um, and it's brewed by the Wisconsin Dells Brewing Company uh, in Lake Delton. It's a hazy hop at a 7.8% ABV. This is not an all-day drinker. This one's going to screw you up. Yeah, but this one's packed with like the tropical fruit. Has a citrus and pine flavor to it. Vitamins. It's like your. It's it's your. It's, it's action packed with vitamins, minerals. It'll, Plenty of B twelve. Yeah, you'll be good to go. This one's uh the only vitamin you need once a day. Uh, vitamin to vegemin. Um, but yeah, it has a really good citrus flavor. I'm getting like a little hint of uh like orange, orange juice, a hair of orange juice. Hair in my orange juice. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, but yeah, it's, it has uh bitterness, but it, you know, it kind of finishes a little smoother when it's going down. It's, it's pretty tasty. Yeah. And the, and the smell, so right when you pop it open, uh, the smell is, is very citrusy. Like Russ was saying, it's, it really does have kind of that orange note to it. Um, which most of the ones that we see of these hazies, you get a lot more of the, the grapefruit ish. Yeah. This um, one has so a the little smell more. is very orange, uh, and and it's it's bitter. I mean, it, it does have the the classic uh, sort of IPA feel to it. Uh, this one is unfiltered, um, so uh, th- that's what gives it that kind of hazy feel to it. Um, but very very good. I uh, it 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 is the high ABV. So this again is not one that you're going to be drinking any more than maybe one. I would space out if you're going to do a couple, you know, get some bush lights in the middle, Miller lights in the middle. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, now that I'm really drinking this and uh, kind of, I kind of just took a little smell of it. It actually smells like orange juice and it actually kind of tastes like orange juice. I'm not even joking, like a beer orange juice. It's really good. Yeah. And it, it honestly is. It's really refreshing. Uh, the first, you know, few sips and stuff. So that's why I say, like, uh, if you have, you know, a six pack of these or whatever, Share it with your buddies. Have one, maybe two, but space them out uh, because they can have that that effect of uh, almost dehydration. Um, they can definitely make your mouth a little on the drier side. However, they are very, very good. Uh, the The first few sips here have been, like I said, refreshing. Yeah, I lo- I love the can too. It actually has like a tons of Wisconsin imagery on it. They got cheese, a cow, brats, the well, Wisconsin the, state shape. I the mean, big hop behind it too. If you don't even, yeah. if you don't look at it uh, really closely, it just looks like it says Scani Hazy Hop. But if you look behind, there's actually a a, a different uh, uh, shades of green that create the look of a of an actual hop. Yeah, and it's funny because they got the uh, the uh, miner and the uh, sailor. On the barcode logo, just like from the flag. The, from the flag, yeah. And it looks like they uh, have a nice tankard of ale, too. So uh, these guys are pretty rad. Yeah, and, and hey, you know what? This is uh, 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 just a fantastic beer. It just it tastes great. It's a little higher on the ABV side, so don't pound a ton of these things. But uh, you're going to dinner. You're uh, having a nice steak dinner or something. You're going to have a couple beers. Why not? Indulge, have you know at least one of these. 
that it's very good. It, it I feel like it would pair really well with uh, um, your your early dinner salad, kind of rolling into you, rolling into your uh, entree rather. This is great. This is great. I love it. Yeah, and you know, with the IPAs, you're always going to get that higher ABV, but this one's not terrible. It's not too bad. It's it like I could see myself drinking it, but I know I wouldn't be in a good condition if I had a lot of them. You know. Yeah. Definitely a good beer. So, uh, if hey, if you're reaching for something new and you haven't tried the uh, the Scani Hop, Wisconsin Dells Brewing Company, uh, this is definitely a a two thumb up beer from uh, from the the boys here at Wisconsin Drunken History. All right, we're here with Tim Goers from G Five Brewing in Beloit. How you doing, Tim? Hey, doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on, y'all. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I know we've been kind of in the talks. Hopefully one of these days we can uh, get in there and actually do something. But, yeah, with COVID, it's been a little difficult for us, too. Yeah, it's uh, – the new norm is it is what it is, right? Everybody's in it. So yeah, I'm glad that you and I were able to all connect and, you know, we'll make it, we'll make it work, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Tim, can you tell us a little bit about G5, how you guys got started, a little bit about the name – any new beers you got coming up and uh, just, I know with the probably no events currently. So yeah, yeah, we, um, G five is, uh, I work for a great family, uh, the, the Gundersons, they have five family members. So it's pretty natural for them to, to name the brewery G five. Uh, I've been an employee now for a little over two years. Uh, I was super lucky to get in on the ground floor. So I was able to really help, design some of the the brewery itself and kind of what fits styles that we want to do uh calendar year number one we brewed uh, i think it was 81 different beers so uh i i kind of come at it as almost like a craft beer drinker as a brewer i don't usually go for the same beer all the time uh like a flagship but i do like styles so that's awesome we always yeah, we always have two to three IPAs because I I love my New Englands, man. Yeah, uh, and I'm <clears throat> always pushing us and myself to create some of the better New Englands out there. We want to really strike balance with that soft mouthfeel, but we still want our customers to know that they're drinking an IPA, so it's not super sweet on the back end. So, really, we've only brewed three IPAs the same um, over the year and three months that we've been open just because we keep tweaking things just to see if it'll make a little bit better. And then we always have a Kolsch. Uh, We're in Beloit, Wisconsin. We know um, we got a bunch of people who still drink our big domestics. So A, it's it's a win for us if they come and step foot in the door and then they ask us, what's closest to those styles which i appreciate uh i still go after those myself and we have a kolsch that we've really dialed in it's clean it's easy drinking it's 5.4 percent and if i can get a lot of our customers to come and start drinking that beer i know that i can push them to start drinking you know wheats and then we can go to farmhouse and then we can maybe dip our toes into the ipas and maybe a sour too Exactly. See if you can get them to naturally branch out and uh, just open up a bit. Yeah, I mean, my my background's in education. So the more I can educate our customers, I I don't care who you are. You could be a newbie or you could be somebody who's a pro. Uh, We all have opinions. We all have those things. But at the end of the day, it's like, is this true to a style? And is it good? Like, do you sit, you want to sit down and, and share one with friends? So that's, that's what I'm trying to create in a glass, honestly. Yeah, no, I have some, I had some really good ones. Uh, and uh, do you guys kind of stay with the trends? I know kind of the hazy IPA is becoming the new new norm. Yeah, we, we're trying to stay on trend and we're trying to project what might be a new trend, which it's a moving target at best. Because, you know, if we looked, we actually just had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. The trend a few years ago was um what was it hard sodas yeah so your root beers your cream ale or yeah your cream sodas we don't hear those anymore um and then what was the other one that we were talking about but now everything's like overfruited sours or overfruited um ipas so those kind of be they're kind of in vogue and 
we've dipped our toes into that, but we don't. I personally just don't love the smoothie texture of those beers. They kind of are off-putting for my palate. And so when we do fruited beers, we try to strike a balance of like, you're still drinking beer, but it has a lot of that fruit character to it. And we only use natural purees. And so sometimes we don't get the best uh, flavor components out of those, but we're trying to, we're trying to push ourselves into staying with trends, but like the hazy IPA thing, we, I'm obsessed with that beer. Um, I have a really good friend that's out East and he's luckily lives in Milwaukee or he's from Milwaukee. So he's been able to bring back some very good representations of those styles. And so, uh, I really do hate it when I drink a beer. I'm like, son of a bitch. I don't quite know how they got to right finished product. And exactly. that's like an awesome challenge. Yeah. I love that. That's like the, the scientist aspect of it. You know, you're just, you, you just keep trying new, new formulas to see what's going to hit. A hundred percent. So yeah, we, we were making jokes. I think last summer, was it the uh, white claw that was becoming the, in yeah, the, the yep. The seltzers were the huge thing last year. Yeah. The <laughs> seltzers are ginormous and we've had, you know, we've had a few inquiries about those. Um, we just came out with like two weeks ago. Um, it's like our own shandy, essentially. So we made like nice. a nice tart, five percent ale that's really beautiful just to drink in the summer. But then our bartenders um, have got the chance to play with the base beer and add. I think we've got right now lemonade, strawberry lemonade, uh, mango, pineapple, and then the craziest one that they came up with is a um, tootsie roll shandy. Oh wow. So it's like a cherry chocolate shandy. It sounds pretty good. <laughs> sounds like dessert. I was super, super skeptical. But then you taste it, you're like, holy buckets. It does feel like I just chewed through one of those Tootsie Pop rolls. I know one of the experiments we tried at, at my house was uh, using a Count Chocula cereal. And it actually turned out pretty good. It really did. It was sure. a really good stout. But yeah, Tim, thanks again. Um, so we just want to know, I guess, I, I know with COVID things have been weird. Uh, what, what other event, do you guys have events coming up or do you guys still have trivia or anything? No, we've kind of put a, a kibosh on all of that. We're taking a very um, conservative approach. So our restaurant, no matter what, um, until we get the really okay, okay, we've only opened up 25%. So we're going to try to maintain social distance. We're going to try to beat this as a, as a small restaurant brewery we're going to try to help the state beat this um the best that we can so all of our employees are masked uh, we shut sections down inside the the restaurant from three to four so then we can re-sanitize everything um release wise you know we we still are averaging about two two releases a week so um last month we just went into cans for the first time in retail and so we did a hazy IPA called Atari Graphics that's uh, been selling really well. We have pinup cheesecake, which is a kettle sour with dark cherries that tastes kind of like a cheesecake. And then uh, we put our Colson cans too, and then we're going to be canning at the end of this month. So we've, we've flipped our model a little bit rather than trying to, you know, encourage everybody to come to the brewery and have a, a little food and then have a flight or two, uh, Obviously, that's not the new norm right now. So the new norm is we're going to try to go into retail about once a month and just we're trying to educate people who at G5 is because there are so many breweries out there and there's so many good ones. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't heard of us. And so I think if they can get their hands on a can uh, and give us an honest shot, I, you know, I think we'll, we'll win a few people over. I agree. Definitely. Yeah, and I always tell people about how cool the place is. I mean, you guys got the like industrial look. You got the outdoor patio. You got the nice glass window. It's like one of the coolest places, honestly. You know, as a brewer, I I will pinch myself. This is the God honest truth of like, if I think I'm having a bad day, you know, I look up and my entire brewery is full of windows. And that is not the norm for breweries. Breweries are typically in tin buildings because it's nice and cheap it's a it's a warehouse essentially but i get to see the outside all of the time 
And so I, I do have to pinch myself and I think I'm having a bad day. I'm like, really? Is it this, you're making beer for your, your career. And like, you're looking outside at sometimes beautiful weather or if a storm's rolling in, it doesn't matter. Like I'm constantly quote unquote outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. You get the sun shining on you. I know like a lot of cubicle people have it where it's like a cave type. So yeah. Awesome. But Tim, before we let you go, we got a, we got about nine questions for you. Um, called how Wisconsin are you? If you're willing to uh, participate. I am. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm up for this challenge. All right. So have you ever tailgated at a Brewers, Packers, or Badgers game? That's a silly, silly question. <laughs> that must be the easiest of them. That, that's why we... Multiple times. That, that's why we leave it at number one. <laughs> yeah, we want everybody to start with a yes. <laughs> yeah, so you hit the trifecta on that one. All uh, right, I'm feeling good about myself. That's good. Keep that uh, ego up. All right. So if, if you have a beer brought, is there a G5 beer that you would use? Oh, yeah. The the Kolsch is beautiful for that. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to have to give that a shot. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Have you ever had a squeaky cheese curd? I grew up um, in, like, northwest Wisconsin, so I've been to Ellsworth, which is, like, the king of squeaky cheese curds. Yes, it is. I've definitely ordered. So, like, they closed down due to COVID, but they still do box orders, so we ended up <laughs> yes. getting a huge thing of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, have you ever operated a snowblower? Oh yeah, yeah. That's a North. Yes. that's a Wisconsin thing. So. And 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 honestly, you say that with uh, with sort of like a, a a frowny face too. Like, yeah, unfortunately, I have. <laughs> Don't demean me with those questions. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> have you ever hit a deer? Oh, I have not hit a deer. Okay, I have been super fortunate. That's really lucky. I'm, I think, I'm glad to hear it. I think probably 80, 80% of the people have hit a deer that we've had on here. So, Well, hold on. So I got a weird story. In high school, I was the sober man that was driving a bunch of drunk people from a hick town. And uh, we hit. I hit a dead deer. Does that make Does that hurt? Or does hey, it count? it's counted. You got okay. it. Nailed. I hit a deer. All right. Have you ever, do you like your Bloody Mary? Uh, do you like Bloody Marys? And uh, if so, how do you prepare them? Uh, I love Bloody Marys. Uh, I like them almost like a New England IPA. I like them a little bit thick in the mouth, but they're super spicy with a nice beer chaser. Got to add that A1 in there, right? Oh, man. Worcester <laughs> A1. Awesome. Spice it up. Yeah, you got it. All right. Have you been to a supper club, and uh, which one do you recommend? Oh, I've been to many supper clubs. Um, on the fancier side, the one... Um, Oh, in Madison, what the heck is it called? Up on the square. That place is my jam. I, I can't yeah. remember that one. I, I know what you're talking about, but I just can't think of the name either off the top of my head. Um, oh, gosh, this is going to kill me. What an idiot. That's a great question, and it should be in every question about being how Wisconsin you are. Yeah, it, I just I know where it's at too, and I've actually seen the logo, and I can picture it in my head. Yeah, I can. Oh my goodness, this is going to drive me bonkers. We'll skip tornado, to the the tornado room. Oh, t- the tornado steakhouse. Yeah, man. Oh that yeah, place. heck yeah. Oh, if any of your listeners are in Madison or have never never been, you have to go. And honestly, their steaks are beautiful, but the venison there, holy buckets. It is to die for. Yeah, and they kind of wow. have like that vibe too, where it's kind of like the darker room too, the setting. Oh, it is you know? old it's, school. It is yeah. old school supper club to a T. Yeah, it really is. All right, we got two more questions for you. Have you ever hit black ice? Yes. yes <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I uh, maybe put a dent in a car once because of that. All right, last question. Obviously, besides G5, is there another brewery tour you recommend our listeners check out? Um, if this is not one of everybody's answers, it should be. Lakefront has a hilarious and very well thoughtful, like thought out brewery like tour. It's the best. I, you laugh, you get some drinks, and it's. And then you just sit there on the on the river and you get that like finish your 
tour with a, a beer on the river. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. if I knew the uh, Laverne and Shirley ther- theme song, I'd have a singer right now, but I don't know all the lyrics to it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But, I know. I know the word schlamazel is in there. I think. Yeah, exactly. If that's a word. It's so good. Those or, guys do such an outstanding job. They yeah, do. And then they make the uh, the cannabis joke about hops. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the bung. They make a bung joke. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Bernie's dugouts in there. You used to be able to slide the, in that. The real yeah, Bernie's. The original from uh, County Stadium. Yeah. It's from County. Yep. Awesome. But, yeah, that place is awesome. But Tim, again, thank you for your time. I can't wait to stop out there and visit you guys. We yeah. got some koozies, obviously. We just talk more beer for hours with you. Yeah. No, I could too. Yeah. Yeah. Once we get to an, an, like better understanding what's going on with this, uh, we'd love to have you down. And I mean, I could talk beer with anybody for hours, but especially with beer geeks that you know um, kind of understand some of the lingo and like to go through the through the process absolutely we'll, we'll come down there and we'll make some work with you yeah oh, perfect that works all right with me all right sounds good tim you take it easy have a good day thanks have a great yeah, day thanks guys i appreciate yep. it all right bye all right that concludes this episode of wisconsin drunken history podcast if you enjoyed this vulgar display of wisconsin we recommend you subscribe via soundcloud apple podcast google play spotify stitcher and tune in Also, leave us a review on any one of those above-mentioned sites, and we can read one at the end of every show. Follow us on social media, and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com. I'd also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak, for providing us with awesome podcast cover art as well as the Dangits for intro and outro music, and all of you for listening. As always, watch watch out for deer deer on the way way home. home.